0: Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 84th episode, it's the return of Catherine Van Arendonk. Along the way, we discuss how ER shaped the course of prestige television, the love language of writing about quantum leap, and how to infuse your children with television-based superpowers the natural way. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. Alright, Catherine, so for those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake?
1: My name is Catherine Van Arendonk I am a beautiful And unique snowflake For a really any number of reasons And humble to (laughs) boot I am a TV critic for A website called Vulture.com Which is the culture Website that is associated With New York Magazine And so I spend a lot of my time Watching television And writing about it And I also have a podcast with some very good friends of mine, Andrew Cunningham and Margaret H. Willison. We have a TV podcast called Appointment Television. And so I really just, I spend a lot of time watching television and then attempting to mediate that experience for other people in some way.
0: Being the super ego of Appointment Television.
1: Yes, that is, (laughs)
0: huh. I'm going to let you just like stew on that analogy and then you can assign the other roles as you see fit.
1: Yeah, I'm really flip-flopping depending on the moment because they really do tag off depending on how... Yeah, Yeah, and and it's funny
0: because I've talked to others about how every podcast especially two-handed podcasts tend to have in wrestling parlance a face and a heel uh-huh. a good guy and a bad guy yeah in the commentary or in some cases you know a play-by-play in color so someone who sticks to the facts and someone who adds color around those facts like or you know makes jokes yeah sawbones is a great example of you know sydney will do the play-by-play and justin will be the color whereas appointment television tends to fall into the two fools and a smart guy except for you pass those around <laughs> depending on the subject
1: it's true <laughs> It's true. That's one thing I really like about the podcast that I think we do so well. Everybody gets to have all of those roles at various points. And we all like that about it. And I hope that it sort of comes across that we enjoy tag teaming on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's a good time
0: because it truly depends on the subject. And I mean, you, I'll notice that when you were covering the bachelor fleet of shows, it mm-hmm. used to be you and Margaret and there's Andrew going, I hate this. I hate every part of this. Yeah. I want to go home. <laughs> How about I just lie perfectly still in the middle of this room for a while while the two of you go on about this guy's tie? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's something that, you know, obviously it's great when we are all able to be equally engaged on something. But I think that plays a really important role for the listener to have somebody be the, like, expert and somebody else be the newbie and somebody else be the, like, joking person. Because I think it really does give different points of entry for whoever the, you know, whatever your experience is as the audience. And that's something that I know I value when I am trying to get a sense of personality and voice in other podcasts or when I'm reading you want to be able to have different perspectives on the same subject so like I think it seems kind of either stupid or thankless when one of us has the like this sucks and I hate it job But I think it plays a really important critical role. Oh, absolutely. Um, So, yeah.
0: I mean, think about it. Let's say you had, you know, a podcast of three people who are complete newbies to a topic. And you're someone who knows that topic. It's going to be really boring and annoying. Alternatively, if you have something where you're like, oh, I don't know anything about this. I'd like to learn something. And you have three people who are experts on that topic and don't ever talk down to your level. It's going to be boring. Yeah. Or also... If you are engaged in love something, and it's three people who do nothing but dump on it, it's like that balance is really important. I think you're right.
1: Yeah. It's hard to strike, and I'm sure we fail constantly, <laughs> but it is, something, it is something we are aware of at least trying to aim for. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Although I still say, and this is my personal beef, you guys have a Patreon where you allow people to mm-hmm. pick something for Andrew to watch. Yeah. And I picked an episode of El Rey's Lucha Underground wrestling show, and I swear he's left my ass at the back of the line on purpose. Well, <laughs> he, you know. He watch the Geico caveman show before you watch the wrestling show
1: (laughs) (laughs) we will certainly we will certainly get to it it's something that that's also something that we have been trying to balance is like (laughs) like we just finished doing an er book club and so we're trying to like balance like what kinds of programming we're giving and the next book club that we're going to be doing is a show
0: okay are you allowed to reveal it
1: yeah we just recorded the episode you've announced it already we haven't announced it. We recorded the episode that where we will announce it. So, like, I guess spoilers for that. But it is a show called Better Things on FX. Uh, Wait, and I'm
0: sure I've heard of this. Yeah, What's it
1: it's a comedy. It's a half-hour comedy. It's a show very much in the vein of Louis C.K.'s Louis. And Louis C.K. was involved a lot in the writing and directing of this show. But it's really Pamela Adlon's show. It's sort of about okay. her being. It's sort semi-autobiographical. And obviously, since all of the Louis C.K. stuff broke the show. I, I was going to um, say,
0: I did make a face. This is an audio medium, so you can't really see I did yeah. pull a face when you said, it's kind of like Louis. And I went, oh. uh,
1: Yeah, no, I know. I think that. So we talk about this a little bit in the bit where we announce it. But it, it's something that. I I know I feel mixed about. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to feel mixed about. But it's also a show that I really, really love. And Adlon has, for the third season, obviously C.K. is no longer involved in it at all. She's hired a whole different writing staff. And I desperately want this show to be able to exist without him. And I hate him for tarnishing it. And so I, it's one of the reasons I think it's, it's important to me that we try to wrestle through and like talk about what we do with shows like this that sort of have one person that we all want to get away from and maybe somebody else whose work is amazing and whose work is being brought down because of their connection with him, even though Adlon has now very explicitly distanced herself from him as much as she possibly can.
0: What's that? There's one terrifying creator who's horrible and a bunch of other good people involved in a bad project. Hmm, Didn't they just cancel one of those?
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I hope John Goodman gets a good project after this.
1: I'm not worried about John Goodman, and he, he I, can always go
0: back for the eventual Speed Racer sequel.
1: He can, and I'm more, and I'm I am much more convinced that going into this project, Pamela Adlon was trying to make the thing that actually got made than is anything about what happened with Roseanne. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I still feel deeply conflicted about like, anyone's ability to have gone into that Roseanne reboot with any sense of goodwill. Like, everyone knew Roseanne was a terrible person when they made that show. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly disingenuous for ABC to have pretended that it was like, fine to have made this show in the first place. Whereas, there's every reason to believe that Pamela Adlon truly did not know anything about what was going on with CK. So anyhow, that we're going to be watching and talking about that, and I'm looking forward to it. That's cool. Yeah.
0: And also, listeners, if you do like I just did and Google it, and yes, I have actually seen the trailer for this show, <laughs> never have I seen a cast that actually looks more related.
1: Yes. It's a like, great cast. Oh my cast. God. <laughs> it's a great, it's a fantastic cast, and it's also a cast that the young women who play her daughters are so great in all of their roles and she's fantastic and i'm very excited for everyone to like watch and, and talk about it
0: and like honestly yeah. looking from stelia imray to pamela adlon to mikey madison you basically are looking at a pokemon evolution
1: <laughs> which is exactly what you want when you're trying to cast a family right yeah absolutely yeah.
0: yep I wanted to jump back briefly you mentioned the ER book club is wrapping up and I feel like ER has really been like since it's come back on was it Hulu or Netflix I can't Hulu, remember Hulu, yeah. Hulu, yeah sorry I'm in Australia I can't see
1: either of them of course
0: but I feel like the minute that ER came back on Hulu it suddenly was in the conversation everywhere and I also think that well like okay I'm gonna try and phrase the question correctly <laughs> why do you feel that right now was the right moment for ER to come back and for everyone to admit that oh yeah by the way ER is great
1: yeah well I wish it hadn't had to be this way like I wish it had been here (laughs) all along right yeah but there is this sort of phenomenon that's really interesting where a show will suddenly become available on one of these streaming platforms after having been gone for a long time and then it kind of bursts into the zeitgeist again i think one of the reasons that er became as popular and sort of became as much of a conversation point as it did is it's just really fucking good and there's a whole generation of like very committed TV watchers who never had access to it before. And so that's something that I think clearly played a huge role in like a bunch of TV critics who were able to recommend it again, and a lot of younger people who had never seen it, never really had access to it before, suddenly being an appropriate audience for it. We talk a lot about, on the book club, we talked a lot about how that first season in particular just a fantastic season of television. I mean, just overwhelmingly great for a lot of reasons that you feel like stuff that it was doing that Prestige TV now is aiming at and often failing at doing anywhere near as well as this show was. And so you can see the roots of how a lot of these kinds of things came up in this this show. I, I think the other reason, one of the other reasons that this show suddenly felt like it grabbed a lot of people is that there is Grey's Anatomy me and there are a bunch of doctor shows but they all feel like these giant things that have been around for a while there aren't really any new buzzy ones and for some reason and i am truly baffled by this For some reason, Netflix has not made like a medical drama, which is very confusing to me. That
0: is strange, yeah.
1: Because it seems so... And I'm not saying it's easy. Like It's not easy to make any television show. It's certainly not easy to make a very good television show. But given Netflix is like, let's just make one of every kind of show that there is, it is Mm -hmm. very confusing to me that they haven't done it. And so it, it really felt like on a streaming platform, there was this gap that er met that i think also helped it become helped it sort of worm its way into people's brains in a way that it hadn't before yeah
0: yeah and see i was about to use an example that i repeating the mistakes of the past Catherine. Mm -hmm. i nearly used an example from your friend's book same as i did back in episode seven the last (laughs) time you were on (laughs) where (laughs) yes by the way that book everything bad is good for you by stephen brown off the top of my head
1: no um uh shoot what is his name
0: uh... You know him, I don't.
1: <laughs> I do know him, but now I can't... You said Stephen Brown, and now it's in my head,
0: and... Um, I think it's a... Hang on, I'm going to look it up. Everything. Stephen I'm so Johnson, sorry. Stephen Johnson. Stephen, Stephen Johnson. Johnson. Thank you. I'm Forget sorry, Stephen I Johnson. Your so-called that. friend, Catherine Van Arendonk for your <laughs> me. But yes, he used ER as an example for, you know, how to work something like medical jargon into a show without talking down to anyone or explaining what it is right you can easily use it to set a tone and show these people are experts but it really doesn't matter what they're saying because yeah. you get the attention of the show the mood of the moment and you can go from there and how it doesn't take a moment to give you a flag that says hey this is what this means it means this person is going to do xyz yeah and i mean in the book club you even talk about how it pioneered the walk and talk
1: yes That was Mimi Leader, who is just an astonishingly important figure in like how and why our television today looks the way it does. And who we have sort of erased from TV history. Like very few people know her name. Certainly you don't think of her as being like one of the defining auteurs who has made TV what it is now. You think of David Simon or you think of, you know, all of like Matthew Weiner and all these sort of the dudes and she was over there just inventing all of the ways that we create motion in television
0: she was busy working yeah go figure
1: yeah i know god <laughs> she's she's fantastic yes so she's she defined the look of the show yeah so that's a huge part of also that that first season and why it's so great
0: and i think the show's choice to stick to the first like usually the first season i, I can't remember because did you in the last it was only the first season right
1: the book club, we've done a couple of... You bounced of, around. We bounced. We ended up bouncing around. We put it up for a vote. And we were either going to do the first 10 episodes of the ER, or we were going to do like more of a greatest hit situation.
0: And you did the greatest hits, which led to Love, Slavers, Lost, You Monster. Yeah. And the one with the storm drain, which is to this day, the only full episode of ER I've ever seen.
1: Yes. Great episode though, right?
0: Because uh, I saw it on TV and I... I didn't know what it was. I was no. just like, wow, this is tense. And and like, oh, wow, this doctor's going to save this kid who's stuck in a storm drain. This is, wow, this is intense. And it ends and I'm like, oh, this was ER, right? <laughs> yes. I was like 14. I didn't know nothing. Yeah. But I think by doing that, you also, because things. I know a lot of people think of ER, at least I think of ER as almost on the same level of drama as, you know, your Grey's Anatomy, where lots of wild stuff has happened. Like, I used it as an answer to a quiz episode with Chris Sims, where I got to say, okay, which of these doctors is still alive at the end of ER? And I got to then go through some of the incredibly ridiculous ways that doctors have died on ER. Yeah. Including having a helicopter fall on them. I know. After they had previously lost an arm to a helicopter.
1: Yeah, what a fantastic... Fantastic television device that was.
0: Fucking Rocky Romero.
1: But in the <laughs> beginning, in the beginning, it was much more grounded. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, it's a show that was on for like a billion D seasons. So, yeah, stuff changed quite a bit over the course of that show. But it really is not until you start to get into like season six, season 10, that you get closer to the helicopters falling on people and.
0: Or Omar Epps jumping in front of a subway.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, speaking of grounded and intense shows that really are all about kind of like the auteur nature of this 11-hour novel that is television. Mm-hmm. Catherine, why are you so into Quantum Leap lately?
1: Mm-hmm. I I uh <laughs> Did I catch
0: you taking a drink of water just then? No. It sounded like a-
1: <laughs> I started watching quantum leap well so first it happened because someone used our patreon to make andrew watch an episode of quantum leap on the podcast
0: he was so happy oh andrew had such joy in his robot voice (laughs)
1: he was so happy and neither margaret or i really knew anything at all about the show even i mean i'd heard of it and i sort of knew about its cultural place, but I didn't know anything about the premise of it or really anything. And so then Andrew just, like, tried to explain to us what the premise of Quantum Leap is, and we kept (laughs) saying, like, wait, what? Wait, how did this work? Wait, like... Sorry, like, what? It was so joyful listening to Andrew talk about this one bizarre episode of the show that he watched. And I I kind of had it bouncing around in my head. It's also all streaming on Hulu now, so it's more accessible. And then Alan Sepinwall, who is a TV critic now for Rolling Stone, I was talking, I was like, if I was going to watch one episode of Quantum Leap, what would it be? And Sepinwall loves loves Quantum Leap, and he made me a little episode guide of, like, greatest hits. So I went back, and I have been working through that episode guide, and I have just been so impressed and delighted by what that show is and how effective it is and how weird and different it is from all of the TV that is on right now. And so yeah, it's been a real little bright spot in my life. I will say it's also the rare show that I have been watching that I am not going to be writing about. I am going to be writing about it, but probably not until next year, actually. And so it's my fun time right now. Is like constantly... I was about to
0: say, what's that like? I mean, because you write so much of your out output is prodigious so what's it like to just go into something and be able to be like I'm just gonna enjoy this
1: it's really nice it almost never lasts which is fine. I mean, the way my brain works is like, if I love something, I will write about it. Like, that's just how I, <laughs> that's how I like stuff, right? Like that's, and I write about a lot of stuff that I don't like, but if I love something, like I will figure out a way to write about it. Cause that's just, that's my love language.
0: It's that fizzing brain thing where it's like, <laughs> you're looking at it and you can hear like the pop rocks noise in the back of your ears. And you're just like, I just gotta, I gotta do something.
1: Yeah, that's how I I mean that's how I process. If I don't write about a show, I probably didn't like it very much. On the one hand, I'm almost never Watching a show and thinking like I'm never going to write about you But I love you On the other hand There's a lot of stuff that I watch And I don't yet know How I'm going to write about it Or I'm watching (laughs) it And I know that I'm going to have to figure out Some kind of excuse to write about it Like I've recently been watching And recommending a lot This NBC show called Superstore That I just love very, very, very much And it's like not even in season right now And it's a show that we haven't really done much coverage of And it doesn't have a huge audience And so instead I'm just like Working Superstore References into every other piece that I'm writing, so that I can, so that I can kind of slip it in.
0: You yeah. have actually slowly convinced me to watch Superstore. I haven't yet, but I will purely because the ads that aired on Australian television for Superstore were really bad. Yeah, like, it made it look really like like a really dumb show. Yeah, and so I just completely dismissed it. Yeah. You know, so when I would see you talking about it and saying, like, no, this is good, actually. That's actually convinced me to keep an eye on it when it comes on demand.
1: I'm so glad Camille's watching it now, and I'm, like, thrilled that I'm, like, slowly, I'm going to get everyone Mm -hmm. into my superstore club. (laughs) Yeah, so Quantum Leap, so it's really nice to be able to watch something and have the watching lead the writing and not the other way around. It's pretty common that I will watch something because I was assigned it, and sometimes it will even happen that I'm watching something and I have already been assigned some kind of angle on it. Usually not quite that direct, but sometimes. So it's very nice to go the other direction and to have found something myself and watched it for myself, and then I can go back to my editors and be like, guess what? I'm sorry, but I'm turning in a Quantum Leap piece next week. (laughs) In this case, I did. I said, like, I'm gonna write about quantum leap and my editor was like cool like let's figure out what the angle is going to be which is like editor speak for like let's figure out any way we could make this relevant for people right now and eventually we realized that like next year is the 30th anniversary so we're gonna hold off until then
0: the year's got a zero at the end cue the article
1: that's right, that's right. and i was like i hope you know that if you make me wait until like next march to write about quantum leap that by then i'll be like i'm interviewing scott Bakula, and we're doing the entire <laughs> magazine on this and you have to tone me way down but yes yeah, so that by then i will down.
0: have already started a spin-off podcast <laughs> called oh boy <laughs> traveling through quantum <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, oh my favorite oh boy the best one i've watched so far is when he goes "Oi, i am a rabbi which is just <laughs> fantastic
0: so dumb
1: <laughs> it's so great oh
0: Oh, I got to ask, this is a very niche and me question. Have you gotten to the professional wrestling episode yet?
1: I have not. It is on my list, though. I will certainly get to it soon. I have that one on my list. There's a Halloween episode that's also on my list that I need to make sure that I get to. There's Mm -hmm. a bunch. I'm sure I'm probably going to eventually watch all of them.
0: The reason I ask is that there's this weird liminal space in the 80s where you go from Media about professional wrestling, implying that it is both A, incredibly dangerous, and B, absolutely 100% for real serious, mm. because you will always have a character whose life is in danger stepping into a professional wrestling ring. But this one kind of rides the line mm. a little bit, where it's like, okay, we are accepting that this is a show and it's fake, but also there's still danger? because there has to be a plot but if we also outright say it's fake we will have well then the WWF's lawyers and also several very large wrestlers standing behind them cracking their knuckles that will be like don't say our show is fake
1: yeah that's interesting
0: yeah I'm interested to see your response to that yeah but you said something interesting on Twitter and I don't want you to just regurgitate your Twitter thing (laughs) which I hate when people do that but you said something that sparked like an interest in me you were talking about if they had to reboot quantum leap Mm. why you felt there should still be a white guy in the lead yeah do you want to speak a little bit of that
1: yeah first of all it's like astonishing to me that this reboot hasn't like happened yet because apparently we reboot everything now and that's like how new things get made so i'm surprised that there is no reboot that exists already i am like fairly confident at some point someone will figure out how to make that happen and i generally don't like reboots like please just make new things but one thing that reboots offer an opportunity for which can be kind of interesting is the like reboot but with a different group of people now particularly if the original was full of like cis straight white dudes a reboot can offer an opportunity for casting women in those roles for reimagining characters as non binary or gay or bi or all different kinds of flavor of experience that can bring a really different different vibe to a show. I mean, Battlestar is a classic example, right? So I think there is a way of imagining a Quantum Leap reboot where instead of having Scott Bakula jumping around through time... You could have like Uzo Duba or, you know, all kinds of different, you could have a woman of color, you could have, you know, a gay guy. You, I mean, just like anyone other than straight white dude Scott Bakula jumping around, right? <laughs> and I totally understand that desire, particularly for a show like this where the premise is fairly bare. I mean, it's, bo- it's on the one hand Byzantine and on the other very bare bones, which is like a person just jumping around through time, like fixing shit. You can make any any kind of person do that, except the thing about Quantum Leap that I found so astonishing and really radical is the premise is that Scott Bakula plays Dr. Sam Beckett, who leaps into these other times and other people's lives. Other people still see that original person's body, but we, the viewers, see him as Scott Bakula slash Dr. Sam Beckett. So he will leap into, say, an elderly black man's body in the Deep South, and everyone around him still sees the original elderly black man, and we see Scott Bakula. What that means is that he has to constantly experience, like, literally do that, like, dumb walk in somebody else's shoes all the time. And so he's constantly running into these experiences that are like, oh, this is fucking unfair. Or, <laughs> oh, like, by fixing stuff also, a lot of times the problems are they're not the end of the world. Like, it's just families that have become estranged from each other. Or it's people who are who just have gotten into a really unfortunate fight and they can't find their way back. And he has to do all this emotional labor. The radical thing about that show is watching a white dude have to do all of this emotional labor is like watching a straight white dude have to be in all of these uncomfortable situations and be as empathetic as possible. That, to me, feels like a really important, interesting, worthwhile premise. And so I want to see another white dude have to do all of this like emotional work and save the world by empathizing with people.
0: Yeah, and also I think it rides that line of, sure, he is our protagonist, but the stories that he's in are never about him he is never centered in the narrative of the thing yes you know like in the problems he has to fix he is always like a secondary or tertiary character in that story yeah it's never you need to do this thing for this person you're in it's like no you have to help somebody else this is their story you are a bit player in that story that can turn a few wheels and make sure it goes right yeah so I think that non-centering of the white guy in the narrative for all he is the one taking action and therefore having some agency he's not centered in a way that would make the show all about him
1: yeah i think that's another great point because you're absolutely right if you think about it in terms of like any current show it's so strange that there's just two regulars and everyone else cycles in and out completely but yeah he's very frequently the rabbi who's trying to get a married couple to be friends again right? It's a fascinating premise. So I would be fascinated, but also alarmed to see the news of a reboot because I think they could fuck it up in a lot of ways. But if they did it well, it would be very interesting to me.
0: Yeah. And another thing out of Quantum Leap that I kind of hold to my heart and treasure, are you familiar with Belisario's Maxim? I am not. Okay. So the producer of Quantum Leap, Donald P. Belisario, was at a convention and there was a fan who was pestering him with all kinds of like time travel questions and well how does this work and how does this work and how does the ripples not affect the thing so you know convention questions and donald leaned into the microphone he said hey don't examine this too closely and that became this kind of catch cry for any kind of speculative fiction Mm. where it's like please don't you know yeah no one cares who pumps up the tires of the batmobile Yeah. Nobody cares.
1: Nobody cares.
0: If you do, that's not why you should be here. Yeah. You know. And just last week, I talked to Jay Edidin about Speed Racer, and that's one of the like prevailing tenets of that film. And about going into it, if you're there to go. Well, that's ridiculous. It's like, yeah. no, wrong mood for this movie. This movie has no interest in you saying this is ridiculous. Yeah. You've got to say yes to the thing. Yeah. So watching you take on this quantum leap thing and accepting right at the beginning, yeah, this is ridiculous. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. And if you the minute you start to pull at it, it's like quicksand. You start to fall in and realize that none of it makes sense. At which point you can kind of let go and just kind of enjoy the ride.
1: Yeah. You know... That's tricky because it is something where you do want to give something like this the benefit of a doubt, right? You do want to go in generally from a place where, like, you want to meet it on its own terms and not ask of it things that it is not interested in giving you. That's not fair. That's not its job. On the other hand, we all know particularly speculative science fiction type stuff where it doesn't seem to know its own boundaries. And at some point, a ridiculous thing happens that is like, that's just that, it just broke all of its own rules or it doesn't seem to care about its own rules, right? This is the like Game of Thrones, current Game of Thrones thing where it's like, (laughs) it used to take them forever to walk across the map. And now all of a sudden they're just like zipping around for no re and, and, and yeah. It can be really frustrating when something like that happens. So that's something I think, I hate to make sweeping generalizations. I think it's, a, it's like a, it's a case-by-case basis.
0: Really? Really? You hate to make sweeping generalizations?
1: It's like <laughs> porn. I know it when I see it.
0: <sighs> you heard it here first. Catherine Van Ayrdonk in favor of This Ain't Quantum Leap triple X.
1: <laughs> He's a very attractive man, Lucas. He's a
0: very attractive man. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, this is a strange tangent, but you were lauding the merits of Yvonne Strahovski Mm. the other day. Did you get to that point in Chuck where Scott Bakula turns up?
1: Oh, yes. Yes. Yes.
0: And now do you know why he was there and why everyone was so excited for him to turn up?
1: (laughs) Not only do I now understand that, that's kind of the most I knew about Quantum Leap before I watched Quantum Leap because Alan Sepinwall, I read all of his Chuck recaps back in the day, and he was obviously very cued into the Quantum Leapness of it all. In fact, I think I knew about the like father-son thematics of Quantum Leap before I knew about anything else about Quantum Leap. I for sure want to go back and watch those episodes now, though.
0: Yeah. Also, considering that Chuck's parents were Linda Hamilton and Scott Bakula, it's like it's amazing that his very existence did not crash. The world.
1: I know, and that he was as <laughs> relatively mediocre as he was. I mean, he's a nice guy, but like you understand what I'm saying. it's Just that that child should have been like the second coming. Anyhow,
0: see, I think if you think that about the character of Chuck, you're correct. It makes much more sense if you think that Zach Levi's parents were in fact Scott Bakula and yes, Linda Hamilton. That's true. Because that would explain a lot.
1: A lot, yes. A <laughs> lot. Uh-huh.
0: All right. So I think we've danced around the topic enough. Hey, Catherine. Yeah. You're also a parent.
1: I am. It's true.
0: I am also a parent. Congrats. Thank you. I need to talk to you about some kids' content. Some Casey.
1: Uh huh. Okay.
0: You recommended Daniel Tiger. Yeah. I watched one episode. Uh huh. Two months ago. Yeah. And I still have that you can be a big helper in, in your, your family.
1: family. Big, big helper in your family.
0: Stuck in my head and it won't leave. Yes. Yes. Ugh. Yes. So I see you also have it in your head. Thank mm-hmm. you. So, because they repeated it maybe 30 times in that episode. Yeah. So, my question for you is because you have a four year old and mm-hmm. a one year old, yep. right? Is Alice turned one yet?
1: Yep. Alice is one.
0: Okay. So, four and one. So, you've had theoretically four years of children's content.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you stay sane? <laughs>
1: I'm going to be honest. I break a rule that I know is very important and I should not break. And yet I break it all the damn time which is that I use television as a babysitter and I do, Hell yeah. not, I do not watch as much of it as I should. <laughs> I know that the best way to like use screens for children is for you to watch stuff together with them and then interact with it and mediate it for them and be a part of that experience with them.
0: But?
1: <laughs> I don't do that. I put it on and then I make dinner. Now that's again obviously it's like a size st- like, I like I clearly have seen plenty of Daniel Tiger in my life also it doesn't work anymore because my 1-year-old doesn't like she doesn't get television it's deeply upsetting and concerning to me <laughs> she just she just like keeps playing and trying to kill herself by climbing the stairs which <laughs> My four-year-old never did, even from a tiny, tiny age. If you turned on a screen, she was transfixed. And I'm, like, worried about the second one. I need TV to work, and it does not yet.
0: (laughs) See, you got to think that Alice is, like, she's TV type, so uh, the TV attacks only do half damage.
1: (laughs) Something like that. I don't know. Yes. (laughs) So... That's the honest answer to that one. I think the other. I,
0: I will say, I will say truthfully, I do the same. The only way I can make coffee and breakfast for myself is I sit Hero in his high chair and I put the wiggles on and that distracts him long enough that I can, you know, make a cup of coffee and be awake. Yeah. Fair. It's completely fair.
1: Look, we all do what it takes to survive, my dude. (laughs) I think the other answer is right. Like, eventually they turn four and they go through stages. And so while they're in the stage, you think you're going to be in Daniel Tiger forever. And like, you're never, like, it just is, you know, it creates these grooves in your brain and they're always going to be there. But the reality is that, you know, it's Daniel Tiger for a while and then it's Curious George and then it's PJ Masks and then it's, you know, whatever the next thing is. So you get sort of amnesia about whatever the thing is until somebody starts singing Daniel Tiger songs again and then your brain is like, oh, right, I remember all of these.
0: <laughs> Although this has actually taught me something about how the Netflix algorithm works, if you'd like me to share this secret. Yes, please. Because we've created a profile for Hero mm-hmm. and all he does is watch The Wiggles. Yeah. Yeah. And this is new wiggles this is ready steady wiggle or wiggle 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 <laughs> or or some of the newer ones that have simon and lucky and emma in them mm. because the music is better and they're nowhere near as annoying mm. and the quality is better so it's one of those things where first off when you put it on kids netflix for people who don't know for people who are not in this particular zone you get a row of characters across the top before yeah. you get the list of shows and so you can pick a pj Mask character or a paw patrol character or Curious George, or Mm -hmm. any number of them, and that the one for the Wiggles is Emma Wiggle in her yellow shirt, so you can spot her. And so, when we turned it on, it was, like, the first one that it offered, I think possibly because we're in Australia, and it's, like, contractually obligated. (laughs) And so, you click on that, and it takes you to the most recent Wiggle show, and you press play, and it goes. What I noticed is that, as we would do this, Netflix kept moving the Wiggle show further from the initial start. Yes. So, I would turn it on, and suddenly Emma wouldn't be in the list of characters anymore. The show would still be in the next row, but she wouldn't be up there. So I would, okay, I'll scroll down and go to the show. And then they started hiding the show. Yeah. And then they would do things like in the up next, instead of giving you the same show, it would cut in episodes of the older Wiggles show. Mm. And then it would start to give you trailers for other kids' content. And then eventually they hid the continue watching line at all and i had to scroll all the way up to the my list and continue watching so i'm like watching in real time what happens if you only watch one thing on netflix which is that netflix moves that carrot further away from you and you have to wade through all this original content to get to the shit you actually want and ain't that a metaphor for something
1: yes well for netflix (laughs) first of all but yeah no that's that is absolutely i have had that exact experience I'm trying to remember what character I was looking for. It was like it's one of the PJ Masks ones, and it just kept getting farther and farther from me. So that's. I mean, look, they have a computer. T-
0: You're running it like the simulation in Zoolander, where it's like, no, don't get distracted by Lance Bass or by <laughs> as the little things pop up.
1: Exactly, and they have a computer telling them that it works. So. <laughs>
0: i had a tweet that had a brief resurgence from about a year ago which was netflix saying hey since you watched pan's labyrinth do you want to watch pan or labyrinth
1: (laughs) this is so dumb Uh...
0: so yeah there are no spotify i'll tell you that
1: no that's true that's true
0: So do you find a balance in screen time between what, although I suppose if Alice is already tanking the attacks of your local television, Uh, I suppose it would be more Claire driving at this point? Yeah. Claire BBS Kids?
1: Yes, absolutely. Alice likes the theme song to Curious George, and that's her only opinion. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's like I've been slowly sneaking older stuff in to see what hero will bite on and you're right there are some things that you know a younger baby just will not Mm -mm. respond to and for a Mm -mm. while he didn't like cartoons he liked shows with people and Mm -hmm. then it was shows with muppets and if it's all people he doesn't really clue in but if it's all cartoons he doesn't clue in either and i think the one that currently is breaking through and i think he's going to get like he's kind of interested in it now and i think it's going to get better is the new muppet babies cartoon
1: Mm. Yeah. I tried that on Claire, but she was really sick at the time. We were just going through like, you're dying and we're trying to figure (laughs) out what is going to help this situation. So I should try it again now that she's back in full form. But she has a weird, she can tell if it like used to be an old thing. And she, Ah. yeah. Yeah, like a her. lot of those shows. Are... <laughs> oh my
0: God, you realize you've instilled her with the mutant power to sense a reboot.
1: Yeah, yes,
0: yeah. Good Lord, what is it with your children and having TV-based superpowers?
1: Well, I, look, they come by it honestly, I guess.
0: <laughs> TV is the new cosmic radiation.
1: <laughs> yes, she does really like, and I do try to show her clips of the original Muppet show on YouTube she likes. Mm. Yeah, I've been slowly charting her development as a human being by what parts of the Harry Belafonte Deo sketch she finds funny, <laughs> which I highly recommend just as a, like an experiment in human consciousness. <laughs> I'm
0: having trouble breathing, That's <laughs> the most you sentence I have ever heard. <laughs>
1: true yeah she's up to the point where she thinks it's really funny that like he keeps calling for different food and there should be bananas and instead he brings like onions and stuff she's not yet at the point where she understands that it's funny that like fozzy just keeps tanking harry Belafonte's performance (laughs) so i'm sure that'll come but i don't know if that's like a six or a seven year old thing we'll find out
0: Slight tangent. Did I ever I can't remember if I've mentioned it on the show. I think I might have way back when, but I never ever did. I ever tell you that my first joke ever was a Muppet Show joke?
1: No. Wow.
0: I was a little kid and like maybe maybe like younger than Claire, and my dad was trying to get me to do the joke from the Muppet Show about the help help the comedians a bear, mm-hmm. and I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Like I was just like, oh, okay, so you want me to say the thing. But why is this funny? My dad, I think, in his enthusiasm for this, he never explained it was funny because Fozzie was a bear. <laughs> yeah. And that therefore it was a pun on bear naked and bear animal. Yeah. And so to help, help the help Canadians a bear, he's not a bear, he's a wearing a necktie. Mm-hmm. And like that joke rhythm is in my head so deeply because it, it took him like an hour to try and get me to say this on command. And I did it. And he missed the fact that as I learned later in life, the joke is that. Like, Kermit keeps giving the setup when Fozzie's not ready. And Fozzie's getting increasingly angry that Kermit is running in and giving the, the setup too early. Yeah. And so that when he gives the punch, it doesn't hit. Yeah. And it's like, like that was all completely lost. So, kids, if you're out there and you're about to kind of have kids of your own, don't try and force joke structure. It's really not worth it.
1: No. They'll get it eventually. And for a while, when they don't get it, their jokes will just be saying poop over and over again. And that's... <laughs> really funny and so just like have that moment with them they'll get to the more complicated stuff later
0: okay Kimiko's gonna be so excited for that
1: we're full in that point right now and (laughs) it's pretty amazing I'm gonna be honest with you
0: I may or may not have video to Kimiko dancing to the shortly before the fall of Kanye West Kanye West song about scooping poop uh, and just doing a little dance and just like enjoying herself so much and then shrieking at me as she realized i was recording her on my phone
1: that's fantastic
0: which i think is the basis of any relationship really
1: yeah 100% 100% yes <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, yeah. so I think we should probably start wrapping it up. So, Catherine, if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, as we have lauded throughout this entire podcast, yep. where should that go?
1: You can find me on Twitter at K Van Aron. I write for Vulture.com. My stuff tends to be up there about, like, twice or three times a week. I write essays. I, I have been doing more interviews lately, which is fun. I have been a recapper sometimes, so you can find me there. And then if you want to listen to our podcast, it's called Appointment Television, which you can find it at iTunes. Um, we're also atvpodcast.com
0: Yes, and they have a Patreon that you can go and support, and one of those Patreon tiers is that Catherine will actually go and take your likes, your TV likes, and recommend you something good that will match them. And she's very good at it.
1: Oh, thank you. That's so nice of you.
0: Yeah. I'm actually in the queue at some point. Yes. I I think I requested a No Assholes comedy, which is, like, It's going to be difficult to thread that needle, but it I have is. faith in you.
1: I, yeah, it's something that I really, I like doing because I like, I like the challenge of trying to figure out, because you, when somebody lists all the TV that you like, like that is like a, it's a version of saying like, here's who I am as a person. So it's very interesting.
0: Here's my OK Cupid profile.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: all right. Well, thank you so much for coming back.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Catherine, it has been like almost 80 episodes since you've been on. Isn't that nuts?
1: Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: As this plane goes over, I'll sign off. Thank you, plane.
1: Thank you for and having me. Yes, airplane. Hello.
0: <laughs> I saw you there, just standing there. And I thought I was all. Thank you very much to Catherine Van Arendonk for her time. Last time I had Catherine on the show, I ended up going with a slightly sweet, perfect Manhattan variant. But in revisiting Catherine's original email about cocktails, I saw she liked a great number of classic cocktails, such as an old fashioned, and for this case, a Negroni, and played with the ingredients and the measurements enough to end up with something quite special. So I present the Belisario. In a shaker with ice, combine two ounces of botanical gin, half an ounce of Campari, half an ounce of Punti Maize, and half an ounce of sweet vermouth. Shake vigorously and strain into a cocktail glass, and add a dash of orange bitters. A drink to save a life, to change a heart, and to make the right choice. Enjoy! Recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Pratt. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at LokiFied, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-T, on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com and pledge as little as a dollar a month, or as much as you want. I'm not even going to tell you what that is, you know in your heart. Those who pledge get bonus cocktail recipes, physical mail, and I would really just appreciate it a whole bunch. If you want to support non-monetarily, you can go to Apple Podcasts in the country of your choice and leave a 5-star rating which helps people find the show. You can also write a review and I'll read it out, won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. Go to bit.ly slash TheMathOfYou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, to find a Spotify playlist with every song I've ever used, going all the way back to episode one, including this song. It is, of course, Oh Boy, by She and Him. I think this episode may be tied for the most song title puns per episode. I update the playlist every week as soon as the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe and get that new music in your ears. Next week, I'll be talking to Michael Francis, writer for the Atomic Elbow Wrestling magazine, about Star Blazers, and other dubbed anime of the late 70s and early 80s. Join me, won't you? Yeah, don't worry, I'm sure there'll be plenty of baby talk, considering Mm -hmm. we both have babies. Isn't that weird? Although you had a baby before, so...
1: Yes, I did have a baby before that is correct. Although
0: it's funny, I I got to be both for the first time the smug parent and then to be completely wrong in the space of five minutes. So uh-huh. I was at work and I had had a terrible night with Hero where he wouldn't sleep horizontally. He would only sleep if I had him up on my
1: shoulder.-huh
0: And like the minute you put him down, his eyes would like pop open and he would start yep. to make that gristly annoyed noise. Yeah. And like Kimiko was snoring, and so I'm like, oh, okay, I just need to I just need to continually like go back and forth until one of them sticks. Yeah and so I'd had like two hours of sleep and I was not in the best mood, Catherine. And so I'm at work and this lady walks up to me uh, to ask me a question and she's pregnant uh-huh. and she asked me a question that has an incredibly obvious answer like she's like, oh, you know, such and such should be happening yearly, but it hasn't happened. Can you check? And so I check it and I'm like, this is a quarterly account so it wouldn't be happening yearly. Also, it's this way, which means it wouldn't automatically do this thing. She went, right. oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't have, I haven't have had much sleep. Uh, and you you know, like, and she points She points my- to her pregnant belly, and I went, oh, really? <laughs> hmm? Yeah. Oh, you want to wait yeah. a couple months? And, yeah. and I'm like, you want to have an 11-month-old kicking you in the chin because yeah. he's breastfeeding and enjoying it? Huh? Yeah. And, yeah. And she looked like chagrined, she and she's like, yeah, fair enough. And she walked away, and then one of my coworkers leans over and goes, you know she has three other kids, right? And I went, oh, oh! I have no, I'm, am the worst.
1: <laughs> yes, you are the worst. I'm just gonna go ahead and say that. Yes, that is correct. That's what happens.
0: I shall rule with a firm hand and a <laughs> a just mind in yep. my title of the worst. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I think
1: that's that's accurate. That's correct.
0: I'm glad to hear that you've recovered from your, uh, you know, incredible Princess Vespa bass voice.
1: Yeah, that, that also obviously was the fault of my children.
0: <laughs> what pathology did Claire give you?
1: Yeah, Claire came home with that. I actually wasn't sure what she had. When she gets sick, she gets very, very sick. She's one of mm-hmm. those kids who just goes way down. And so she had like 103-something fever oh, and was just down for like four days. I was positive she had strep, actually. And I had her tested in... She didn't, but she had a really terrible sore throat, and then inevitably when I got it, I was like, oh shit, like, she really did have a sore throat cuz this sucks.
0: <laughs> but
1: <laughs> but happily I did not. I did not have the crazy high fever. I just got like a it was like a horrible storm that happened in everything to do with my voice box and slowly it is leaving me now. Yeah.
0: Tonsillitis can feel like a storm in your throat.
1: Yes, that's probably <laughs> what it was actually. I don't know. It was awful.
0: Yeah, we we actually had the tonsillitis back and forth. Where I would get it, and then Kimiko would get it, and then she'd give it back to me?
1: Just bad, because then I had to fly. I went and covered this television festival in Austin. Oh, just this,
0: this, this little festival, you know. no big Yes, deal. I did, just... yes. And who Italy's... did you meet there?
1: I met the creators of American Vandal, which was lovely. I talked to a bunch of other TV critics, which was really, really nice. It's a really nice festival that I feel like it has a reputation for being not Comic-Con-like. And I was pleased to see that it lived up to that experience in that it was like, everyone's just kind of like a chill TV fan and everyone hangs out together and is not like crazy toxic fandom. I don't know how they've avoided the crazy toxic fandom element of it.
0: I think it's just, but they just, you know, only invite cool people.
1: Yeah, I don't know how they did that. But it was a very nice time, but it was like, it was bad because I woke up, I got into Austin very, very late at night, and I woke up in the morning, and the first thing I saw was an email from my editor being like, please write a thing about Anthony Bourdain.
0: Oh, I read your Anthony Bourdain thing. That was very good.
1: Thank you. And then I had this American Vandal interview at noon, and like I just hadn't spoken at all except for to record that podcast.
0: <laughs>
1: and I was like, I wonder what my voice sounds like. And happily, it was slightly functional, but it was it was just an unfortunate <laughs> turn of events. Yeah.
0: It's amazing. One of my coworkers who also has kids came in with a throat like that. But the weird combination with the sore throat and her Australian accent just made it sound like she was super emotional all the time. Like that <laughs> mean girls on the edge of tears, I want everything to be made of rainbows voice. Yeah, yes. And so she'd go yes. to me and she would be like, do you mind checking this report for me? And I'd be like, yeah, no problem. It's just, it's just so emotional for me. And she'd be like, fuck off. Please stop doing
1: <laughs> People, Sick people love to be made fun of. Sick people and pregnant women love... When you suggest that. I just realized,
0: are. yeah, I'm painting myself as a bit of an asshole in the just office. Just a aren't I?
1: terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> uh,
0: well, if it makes you feel better, this is the office that missed my birthday and oh. uh, on that day decorated the desk of the guy next to me.
1: Oh, okay, so they all have it coming. <laughs> yeah,
0: and it was not his birthday either. His birthday had did it the day before.
1: <laughs> okay, so they absolutely all have it coming. Yes. That's 100%. Per- yeah, 100%. <laughs> awesome.
0: Actually, how are you in a zone at seven thirty night? Is everyone asleep in the house apart from David?
1: Yeah. Well, David's reading books to Claire right now. But ah. yes. Their general sleep schedule is roughly seven or seven thirty to seven seven thirty. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I am I because I am draconian. This is how no, it it's happened.
0: good. No, dude, do it. <laughs> I mean if we could, I mean we try with Hero, but the problem is is like if his afternoon nap is too late, either at daycare or at home with us, then he's up at like Quarter to nine, but he's not crying. He's just yeah. like smiling and engaged and hanging yeah. out. And is like, "Hey, what are you guys doing? I'm up for whatever."
1: No, no, and, that is not. is not allowable in my home.
0: And that, that's <laughs> a harder. I think that's a harder fight than calming the crying child.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Yes,
0: because <laughs> he's just like, <sighs> I'm like, Wait, don't, don't make that noise at me." I know. I uh, anyway, know we should that. probably switch. yeah get distracted with baby talk. Damn oh, yeah. it, Catherine. I'm sorry. <laughs> you should be. Yeah. Oh, actually. God, there's one more baby thing I was going to mention, but it's so not, like, main show stuff, so it'll have to be here. Um, okay. Okay, so did you have, like, do the mother's group thing when uh, Alice was born? Or did, were you over that, because with Claire?
1: I did it some with Claire, but I didn't do it so much with Alice. I just did not actually have time.
0: I figured not. Well, because yeah. we, Kimiko did it, and we have our, our, like, the birth class group, which was, mm-hmm. you know, in the lead-up to it, and then we have sure. the mother's group that she met afterwards. But the problem with that is that You've all got babies the same age, so yeah. you have, like, a kid's first birthday every weekend, sometimes two a weekend, yes. for, like, three months.
1: Yes. Yes. We did that, because oh, Claire's preschool, actually, all, like, the class start, they all started together as two-and-a-half-year-olds, which means they all have a basically the same birthday, and yes, I'm, I am very familiar with that experience, <laughs> the constant <laughs> birthdays. It's a fun time.
0: I am actually avoiding one to be here doing this. Congrats. <laughs> Congrats. I'd be like, yeah, you have a kid. I have a kid, too.